Uh, we're going to continue tonight in our study of Ezra and Nehemiah. Tonight we'll be in Nehemiah chapters 4 and 6. Uh, I do have, there are some papers. I think all of the ones in the back were claimed. There are a couple up here up front. So if you didn't grab one, don't be bashful. Come and grab one. You're welcome to do that. Perhaps uh, Dr. Campbell may even hand one to you. Um, Now, if you, if you catch the disease from that, you can tell them that a doctor gave it to you. So. <laughs> All right. We'll begin in Nehemiah 4, and then we'll jump over uh, to 6. Chapter 5 is a sermon in itself. It's about how Nehemiah stopped uh, the oppression of the poor. As we just heard, in his name all oppression shall cease. So uh, that is the God that we serve. He, um, he will one day finally stop all oppression, and he's called us now to do everything that we can to stop the oppression in the world that we see. But today, tonight, we'll be in Nehemiah 4 and 6. So just like Ezra, Nehemiah faced some opposition to his work. He had to overcome not only the typical problems related to efficiency and manpower and supply, but also human meddling and confrontation. So some people were seeking to slow down the work that God had called them to do. Uh, Still, he stayed the course, and he remembered that the work was God's work. And we could say that he stayed the course by remembering that the work was God's work. Uh, if, If Nehemiah had believed that what he was doing was just kind of something that he thought was a good work, uh, this rebuilding of the temple and then rebuilding of, of the city, then it would, uh, it would be easy to abandon your own dream. And people, of course, today say, hey, follow your dreams. Well, it's actually more empowering to say follow God's dreams or follow what God's plan is for you. There, there's a whole lot more encouragement that, that comes with that. Uh, so the first thing that we see in Nehemiah chapter 4, I'm going to read the first six verses. Nehemiah overcame some verbal attacks and discouragement. Uh, Nehemiah 4, first six verses. Now when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding, that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. Now remember, uh, whenever Sanballat and Tobiah, whenever they're mentioned, it's almost like in the narrative the music changes. We talked about this last week. Everything was going well. God had given Nehemiah favor. They were going into the land. He had given him you know, all the, the timber that he needed to rebuild the, the gates and the different things. and Everything was going well. He had people going with him. And then suddenly we, we hear that refrain that happens throughout Nehemiah. But then when... Sanballat and Tobiah heard, they were greatly enraged. And we see that again here. They, were, they, they became angry and greatly enraged, and they jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and, and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what are... What are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O God, 
For we are despised. This is Nehemiah speaking now. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. Why don't we pray as we continue tonight and ask God to bless the reading and the teaching of his word. Lord, we come to you tonight because we don't have any clever words to say. We don't have any power of our own. We don't have anything that can do any spiritual good, but you do. And so we ask you for it. We ask you that as we look to Nehemiah and his example of faithfulness to the one true God, Yahweh, we would be encouraged. And we would live, we would live in a similar way. We would see the good things that, that you gave Nehemiah, the good attributes and the good characteristics and you would strengthen our hands and strengthen the weak knees that we have so that we might be able to imitate him and moreover, imitate Christ. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Nehemiah, of course, faced the opposition of the people. Verbal opposition is often one of the most common forms of opposition that we face. Um, many of us know that. We, uh, there's no shortage of, of people jeering at one another or people uh, uh, saying bad things to one another, particularly in the age of social media, right? You can go to the comment section of somebody, uh, somebody puts a video up on YouTube of them, you know, I don't know, singing or teaching their kid how to ride a bicycle or anything as benign as that. And next thing you know, there are all these comments of people making fun of something or people saying bad things. So we're, we're very used to people uh, lodging verbal attacks these days. Um, and Nehemiah, of course, faced this. But his, uh, what, what he faced was a little more serious than this because these people had kind of, they had teeth behind their words. They were willing to uh, put put uh, their money where their mouth is, and maybe even go and fight Nehemiah and and his people. So we know these are not idle threats. This highlights the need, though, for us if we're going to live in a day where there's going to be verbal, you know, things uh, shot at you, uh, as they were of Nehemiah, and particularly if people are going to say disparaging things to those of us who follow Christ, which happens from time to time. It highlights the need. For us not to be given over to the fear of man. We, we've talked about this a few weeks ago uh, as we were going through different themes and different hard skills, right? And the fear of man is one of them. We don't need to be given over to the fear of man. And so how do we combat the fear of man, living for the opinions of other people? We combat them through the fear of God. Through having Him as the only one that we seek to please. If we are distracted by the opinions of other people... We will be led away trying to impress them. But the remedy for this is to have an audience of one, to seek to please only Christ. And when we do that, we can weather uh, the, the poor opinions of other people, the disapproval of others. Um, we can also weather verbal attacks to us. Those, those words don't uh, stack up to the word of God. And so that's what uh, we learn from this. Nehemiah fought 
uh, the fear of man and the opposition of people. So we have a, uh, an example to follow here in Nehemiah. But notice, he didn't merely brush off these comments. He didn't merely say, hey, all sticks and stones can break my bones. He went a step further than that. As soon as the taunt was over, right, immediately Nehemiah goes into prayer, praying to God. Notice what happens here. He says this, um, uh, Sambalat is saying these things. Hey, will they, will they sacrifice? Are they really going to have their temple up and running? Are they really going to provide worship to their God? Will they finish up in a day? Like, Do they think they can repair all of this before we can get in there and disrupt what they're doing? He's, he's taunting them. Well, they revived the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and, and burned ones at that. And then immediately, verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. But then in verse 4, Nehemiah says, he responds to these things as believers should. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captive. So he's actually not praying very kind things. This is called, this is called an imprecatory prayer, right? He's actually praying that God would, would, would do justice against his enemies, which is, which is fine. Um, do not cover their guilt, he says, and not let their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So in other words, Nehemiah responds in prayer... It's interesting, though, we need to have a discussion about this. This doesn't mean that the appropriate thing for us to do is pray that God would pour coals on our enemies, right? Uh, the reality is what Sanballat and Tobiah are doing are in direct opposition to the very glory of God. And so that's a little bit different from us having enemies, right? From us having enemies. And this is not a prescription for us to pray bad things toward our enemies in this world. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself told us, uh, uh, pray for those who persecute you. Uh, so that's, uh, that's the pattern uh, of our lives, as hard as it is, right? Much easier said than done. But um, it's important to have a little sidebar discussion on imprecatory prayers there. But um, anyway, he didn't merely brush off their comments. He answered them as a follower of God would through prayer, through placing his hope in God. And see what his hope is in? His hope is in the fact that his God hears him. That God is not some idle, distant deity that is disconnected from our problems and our, and our troubles. But no, he, like us, he was acquainted with grief, the Bible says, of Jesus. He, uh, Nehemiah seems to understand what we understand from Ephesians chapter 6. He says, Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the, the powers. I'll actually read that right now um, from Ephesians 6.12. If I can put my finger on it. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then it goes into, therefore we take up the whole armor of God. In other words, our battle at the end of the day is really not against people. Our battle is against the darkness uh, in our own hearts and against the darkness that is in the world. And so we would do well instead of seeking revenge to seek our God. That seems to be the Christian response. There's also 2 Corinthians 10.5. Uh, this is what uh, uh, Nehemiah seems to understand here. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, 
For the weapons, or 10, 4 and 5, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. You can see Nehemiah doing that here. He's, he's trying to strike down these things that are spoken against the one true God. We, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. How do we take every thought captive? By answering them through prayer, by running to Christ, by saying, I know that I'm tempted to believe X, Y, or Z, but I'm going to ask you, God, change my mind. I'm going to ask you, help me to believe the truth in this moment because I am prone to wander, as we said this morning, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. We're prone to believe things that are unhealthy. We're prone to believe our hearts are fickle. They, they wander from Christ very readily, just like sheep. But we say to Christ, we say, help me to believe what is true instead of what I'm tempted to believe in this situation. Uh, And lastly here under number one, the work was successful because the people believed in the mission enough to work hard. It said uh, at the end of this little section, so we built the wall, right? Just after the people kind of hectored them a little bit, they were heckling them and saying, oh, are you going to build this in a day? Like, how, how would you possibly finish this work? They said, so... We built the wall, and the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Remember last week when we said, when you don't know what to do, just keep laying another brick. Just grab the trowel, grab the sword, put some mortar on the wall, put another brick, and do what you can. That's what builds the walls. That's what protects the people. That's what protected them here. So... The people had a mind to work. They believed not in the taunts, but they believed in the Word of God and in His protection and the fact that He will take care of His people. Secondly, Nehemiah overcame confusion and physical danger. So we're going to read uh, chapter 4, verse 7 and following. Uh, and I don't know how, how much following, but we'll, uh, we'll read until it seems like a good place to stop. If I get to 1 Corinthians, y'all can, y'all can go home, all right? <laughs> all right. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God. You seeing a pattern here? And we prayed to our God. And set as a guard, and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, "You must return to us." But even their own people. Even their own people are saying, stop the work, get down off the walls and come to where it's safe. So, in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and I arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. So, the opponents plotted harm and confusion. They, they upped the ante 
So the, the chapter, chapter 4, opens with them saying in Sanballat and Tobiah, they didn't really like what was going on, so they, they insulted them. And then that didn't work. And then it said, well, Sanballat and Tobiah, they were even more angry. So now they're making threats to them. They're, 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 they're desiring to plot against them to cause confusion and even to threaten their lives. Physical danger. This is an opportunity, though, for Nehemiah and the people of Israel to remember the days of God's faithfulness to his people before the exile. Here's one of the interesting things about reading Old Testament narrative, right? We've talked about this in the past. If you go to the book of Ephesians, it'll tell you what the point is, right? It's just like everything is very clear. This is do this, do this, don't believe this, but believe this, right? Everything's very clear. When you're reading an Old Testament narrative, you're looking for patterns. Right? A pattern happens, a pattern of, of um, the people doing something wrong, and God judges them. People doing something wrong, God judges them. People doing something wrong, God judges them. And then, what happens right here? There's an opportunity for the people to quit the work. This is a crucial, crucial moment. Like, a lot of God's history of salvation, a lot of the Old Testament is hinging on these verses right now. What are the people of God going to do? Are they going to listen to the insults? Are they going to listen to their threats against their life? Are they going to listen to their own kin, their own family members who are telling them, y'all got to come out of the city, y'all are going to get killed if you stay there? What are the people going to do? Are they going to remember what God has said, that this is God's work, not theirs? Are they going to shrink back in fear, or are they going to keep pressing on? Because the reality is, they have an opportunity right now to repeat the same sin that sent them into exile. If they, if they shrink back from the work and they choose to fear man instead of fearing God, that's the same sin that God had just judged them for. And so what's going to happen? Thankfully, they obey. They obey God. They push away the fear and they decide that the only safe place to be is with the one true God. And praise God that they did. Um, <clears throat> Joshua... Chapter 4, I've got a couple of verses here written down. Um, Joshua. Joshua, I, I always remember that little section of Scripture. It says, Joshua judges Ruth, which I've always thought was kind of mean of him to do that. <laughs> Shouldn't have really done that. Joshua, uh, chapter 4, first three verses. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people. From each tribe a man and, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, and from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. So Joshua called twelve men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe, and Joshua basically told them to do this. He says, Go down into the river, take twelve stones, and we're going to set them up. We're going to create an altar. And then it says um, in verse 15, look in verse 15. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priest bearing the ark of the testimony to come up to, out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest, Come up out of the Jordan. And when the priest uh, bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up out of the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. And the people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the, Easter, on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones with they, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask, 
says this. When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall tell your children, let them know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, and the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which He dried up for us until we passed over. Verse 24, So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the, might of the Lord is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So, they're doing this work. They're doing this work of building the temple, right? Just like it, it, it looks back on this, on this scene in Joshua where God tells the people to go down, grab these stones, set up an altar so that you can tell the next generation of what your God did. When they look at that altar of those 12 stones set up you can, and they ask you, why is that there? You can say to them, because God was faithful to us. Right at the moment where we could have been crushed, He saved us. He allowed us to walk through the Jordan on, on dry ground and He will continue to save His people. In other words, the Israelites are doing well when they're remembering who their God is. But when they forget the character of their God, they fall into fear, they fall into sin, they fall into disobedience, and God has to correct them. So, I think that finishes up number two. Number three, Nehemiah overcame the problems of pressing on. Um, let's read of chapter 4, verses 15 and following. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. By the way, I'm, I'm in, we're back in Nehemiah, of course. Nehemiah 4, 15. From that day on, verse 16... Half of my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears, shields, bows, and the coat of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon on the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. God, Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. This is hard work that they're doing. right? They're standing guard. They've got one hand on the sword, another on a trowel, just trying to build the wall, just trying to get, uh, get the wall built so that they can rest in some kind of safety. So these are the problems of pressing on. And friends, this is the reality. Most of our lives, most of our lives are not necessarily a valley and are not necessarily some kind of spiritual mountaintop. Most of our lives are just the ordinary in and out of obeying God and trying to remember who He said He is and to be faithful to Him today 
as we punch the clock. Be faithful to Him today as we drive the tractor. Be faithful to Him today as we wake up and feed the kids. Whatever the case may be, that is 95% of our lives is pressing on. It's what Eugene Peterson has called a long obedience in the same direction. It's what God has called us to. One long obedience in the same direction. So Oliver Cromwell said, or at least it's said that he said this, Trust in God and keep your gunpowder dry. Number four. And lastly. This is in chapter six. So you may need to turn a page. Nehemiah overcame slander, trickery, and threats. I think I just need to read some here. So if you'll follow along. Nehemiah chapter 6. You notice how these chapters have been opening. These sections have been opening. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come down and, and let us meet together at a place I can't pronounce, in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. Why should I stop? Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant with me, uh, to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. Now remember this, they've tried this before, right? They're, they're, they're getting ready to threaten him with, we're going to go tell the king on you that you're trying to do something unsavory here. Maybe you're trying to rebel against the king, and if word gets to the king, he might stop your work again. That is why you're building the wall, and according to these reports, you wish to become their king. Verse 7. And you have also set up the prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports, and now come and let us take counsel together. In other words, maybe if you come down and talk to us, we can diffuse the situation. Then I sent to him, saying, No such thing as you have said has been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Again, he returns to the Lord. He cries out to the Lord. He says, Lord, these people are trying to distract me. They're trying to even you know, trick me into coming down off the wall. And who knows what they're going to try to do to me when I get down there. O oh Lord, strengthen my hands. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of De Deliah, son of Meh. Mehedabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they, were, they, they are coming to kill you. And they are coming to kill you by night. But I said, Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had, sent, uh, had not sent him. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. So, a lot of really interesting things going on here. 
The Tobiah and Sanballat have to kind of change their strategy. Now the walls are completed. They understand they, they can't really threaten their lives anymore in some kind of all-out attack anymore. Now they have to try to trick him to come down off the wall. And he very slyly says, I can't come down off the wall. I'm working. I'm sorry. Why should the work stop? I, I'm sorry. I don't have time for a, you know, a, a coffee meeting with you all to hear what's on your heart. He doesn't, just like 1 Peter 3.9 says, do not repay evil for evil. He didn't repay evil for evil. He just said in a very kind of gentle way, I'm sorry, I can't come down. I don't have time to talk to you. Um, and then also, they try, to, uh, they try to trick him into coming into the temple. Think about this. They're trying to say to him, they, they hire somebody, a false prophet, to say, hey, come into the temple because tonight they're going to try to kill you. So you'll be safe if you come into the temple, right? Doesn't that sound holy after all, right? Wouldn't God approve of you coming into the temple? And, and Nehemiah sniffs it out. And he says, can such a man as I run away? That would not be the character of a leader. That wouldn't be the character of someone who believes in God, to run away from danger, to run away from fear. And so... Because he didn't run and hide, think about what would have happened. At the very least, he would have lost his reputation in the eyes of the people that he's trying to lead. Right? What, our leader ran into the temple trying to... He left us out here to work and he ran into the temple? So God, through his character, the only thing that sustains Nehemiah is his character. He understands the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. As it says in Proverbs chapter 9, the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. So instead of fearing man, instead of fearing actual people and their threats against his life, he fears God. He doesn't run into the temple. He doesn't run away. And as a matter of fact, they could, you know, I, I think some, some uh, commentators say they could have been laying a trap for him in the temple. And so the reality is at the very least he saved his reputation. At the most he saved his own life by fearing God. So friends, I think that the application that we can draw from this tonight, I think that um, the things that we can learn are fear God. Fear God. Do not fear man. Remember who God is. Hold fast to His character. And in moments, in moments, and they will come. If they don't come today, they may come next week or next month or next year. In the moments when you're tempted to forget who God is, who He has, says he is, who he has said He is, and that He can be trusted, preach truth to yourself. Preach what the Bible says of God into your heart and ask Him, God, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. And He will supply everything that you need. Why? Because He's promised He will give you everything that you need for life and godliness. I think that's enough for tonight. Let's praise God. Let's pray to Him uh, because of who He is. Let's pray together. Lord, You are so good to us. You have not left us in the dark. You have given us a word. You have given us the word, the scriptures, so that by them we might be sharpened. Lord, forgive us for thinking small thoughts of You. Forgive us for thinking small thoughts of Your word. But it is Your word as it says of itself, it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it pierces to divide even the bone from the marrow, and it discerns the secret thoughts that are in our hearts. Lord, we need that kind of word because we are prone to wonder. We are prone to, to leave the God that we love. And so we ask you, God, by your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, keep us close to Jesus. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.